You know, I, I appreciate direct revelation. Uh, I would like for direct revelation to come more often than it does. It doesn't come as often as we pastors would like uh, for it to come. Pastors frequently receive help from many different resources in preparing to minister the Word. In fact, uh, I, I will share this with you, this message this morning came from my dad, who is a very insightful thinker, and occasionally he'll share thoughts <clears throat> for me to ponder and to think on, think on. And so, uh, thank you, Dad, for passing along this inspiration from the Lord to your uh, preacher's son. In fact, I, since he's 85 years young, and I just feel like doing it because I have the microphone, I'm just going to dedicate this message to him today. Is that all right? I love having my parents here. I love having my mother-in-law here. It's great to have my, my family here. But if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word, and we're going to begin at verse 41. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves, or another word for sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead. And he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Would you pray with me, Father? We bless you today. Thank you for the word of God that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak clearly to us today, Lord, that we would hear the word of God and we would apply it to our lives. Hide this vessel behind the cross of Jesus Christ. 
that we may be, uh, Lord, effective. Lord, in you being seen and your word being heard. Let every heart receive, let every ear hear what it is that the Spirit wants to say to the church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is The Chink in the Armor. The Chink in the Armor. This is a very familiar story in the Bible, but maybe you don't know it. So the brief version goes like this. David is a teenage shepherd boy that takes food at his father's request to his brothers who are in military conflict with is with with Israel in the army of Israel against the Philistines. The Philistines have a giant whose name is Goliath. He is their warrior, he is their hero. And he is cursing and swearing and fear has gripped the Jewish camp as a result of his rhetoric. But young David the shepherd boy trusting in the faithfulness of God collected five smooth stones. And with the first one, he nailed Goliath in the forehead and knocked him down. Scripture says he ran over, he cut Goliath's head off, and the Jews went on to win the victory over the Philistine army. There are, there are so many messages that have been preached and so many lessons that have been taught about this story, even from David's perspective. This morning, however, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I would like to look at the failure on Goliath's part to be prepared for the enemy that he faced. This message today is relevant for every single person present because Goliath's traps can also be traps for us. I want to tell you today you need to be prepared for your enemy. You need to avoid having chinks in your armor like Goliath. You've never heard that phrase. Maybe that's new to you. Chink in your armor. It means cracks or exposed areas. It is an idiom, which means a catchphrase that sounds odd, but has meaning to us. An idiom. Now, I didn't call nobody an idiot. It's an idiom. Another idiom, for example, would be break a leg, which means do great in your performance. Or I'm under the weather, which means I'm sick. Or how about this one? I'm going to hit the sack. That means I'm going to bed. These are all idioms. They're phrases that we use. Chink. In the armor is an idiom. Another one that would be just like it would be Achilles heel, which means a weakness or a flaw. So let's dive in this morning to this. The first chink I see in Goliath's armor was that he didn't realize how formidable his foe was. Verse 42 tells us that Goliath disdained David, for he was but a youth. He was insulted that a young lad was sent to fight him instead of a mighty warrior with great experience. 
He laughed and he mocked while mentally he is already determined that he would snap this boy's neck and feed him to the birds of the air. Goliath simply did not appreciate how formidable his foe was. And let me just tell you today, we have a foe. Now, I need to say that because you would be amazed and surprised in the church culture how many Christians don't even believe that there's a devil. Barna Research not long ago did a survey from Christian believers, and basically they surveyed these folks and they gave them a statement and asked them if they agreed, disagreed, or were unsure. And this was the statement. The statement was, Satan is not a living being but a symbol of evil. Satan is not a living being but a symbol of evil. Did you know that believers, 59% of those surveyed, agreed with that statement? 8% were unsure whether they agreed with that statement or not. Well, when you do the math, that leaves only 33% of believers, of Christians, that believe that the devil is real. I've come by to tell you, not only is he real, but he is your foe. He is the prince of darkness. He is the evil one. He is the dragon. He is the cunning serpent, the snake that is found in the first book, Genesis, and found in the last book, Revelation. He is the one called Lucifer, an angelic being who is now called the devil or Satan as a fallen angel. You need to hear this preacher today. As God, the loving Father, is no respecter of persons with the amount of love that he has. So Satan's hatred has no respect of persons to all the ones that he is trying to take down. He has but one interest, and that is to kill you, not just physically, but even more importantly than physically, he's out to destroy you spiritually. He wants to steal your soul and destroy you for eternity. Not one soul, whether in that theater seat or behind this pulpit or has occupied this stage, is exempt from the attack of this evil one. You need to recognize how formidable your foe is. You need to understand today that there is a battle being waged for your soul and the souls of your family. Formidable means to cause fear and dread and apprehension, uh, to, to have qualities that discourage approach or attack. Even the Bible acknowledges Satan's power and acknowledges how strong he is. How do I know that? Listen to what it says. The Word tells us to deliver deliver others from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. According to Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church, he said, Satan has power and signs and lying wonders. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul told us we wrestle against principalities, against powers against rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places I want to tell you he is formidable today he is powerful today his tactics are slick he seldom confronts the children of God but rather appears in a subtle way to lead us blindly down a path of destruction he won't confront you with an as an ugly red monster 
sister with pointed ears and glaring fiery eyes and a pitchfork in his hand. Oh no, my friend, when Satan is trying to get you to trip up, the scripture says, do not marvel, for he has transformed himself into an angel of light. He will mimic the very angels of, of heaven, if you will. In fact, I'll tell you, he is present this very moment to try to catch away the word that's being shared with you. He wants to steal it from your heart according to Matthew 13 and 19 so you can continue to be paralyzed by his advances against you. Wait a minute, preacher. I didn't think the devil went to church. Can I tell you one time Jesus confronted a demonically possessed man that was sitting in the temple of God. Can I tell you when Jesus was battling the devil in the wilderness? The devil took him to the pinnacle of the temple. And I want to tell you if he's bold enough to confront the Son of God at the pinnacle of the temple, he doesn't mind getting into your car and riding to church with you in the house of God today. I'm telling you, he's a formidable foe. I'm telling you, he would love to snatch the word. Even this word right now, he would love to snatch it from your hearing. I've poked a hornet's nest in the caverns of darkness, but I want you to also know that even though you cannot beat the devil on your own, Jesus does give you power to overcome. I wish somebody would give the Lord praise. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, he said, Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall harm you. I've come by to remind someone that's a child of God that greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. James tells us, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Thanks be unto God. We know we have a formidable foe, but we know who the greater king is. We know there is a devout lion, but we also know who the delivering lion is. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and as a result, we are victorious. Somebody praise the Lord. If I were to pose a question to you this morning and ask you who is the opposite of God, many of us would quickly respond that it is Satan but that answer would be incorrect. Really, Michael, the archangel, is the opposite of Satan. Now, why is that, preacher? Because God has no counterpart. God has no equal. God is infinite and all-powerful and all-knowing and ever-present. God is God, and besides God, there is none else. We still better stay awake to how formidable our foe is and realize we cannot win with a crack of disregard or a chink in the armor of apathy or indifference in our heart. We have to stay sober. We have to be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, roams about seeking whom he may devour. He's real. He's not a figment of your imagination. 
And if you would be part of that two-thirds of believers in our world that believe he's only a symbol of evil, I come by to refute that and to tell you the devil is very real. That was the first chink in his armor. The second chink in his armor was the, the pride he had in himself. He said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. He said, am I a dog? You come out against me with sticks? Ate up with pride. Goliath was the greatest, the tallest, the biggest. He was the most talented warrior on the battlefield that day. But pride and conceit left him exposed to his own weakness. <laughs> Believers have to fight constantly against pride and conceit. You ever run into those folks? I know there's none of them in our church. But they strut around as if they're the only spiritual ones in the group. They're Christian superheroes. They believe they're the only ones who have the answer. They're the only ones that know God's voice. They, they think they're all that. And little do they realize that they're on a slippery slope. How many over the last four decades that have been in television ministry have dropped like flies. I could reel off ten names easily. Well-renowned. No doubt God called. But they lost sight and began to think it was more about them than it was the Jesus inside of them. Let me give you some light side of pride. Clara Null tells of her grandson's reluctance to allow his wife to sell some old ties and old suits at their yard sale. He thought the ties were fine. He thought the suits were fine, and they looked good. But his wife kept insisting that his old ties and suits were outdated. They had the yard sale. One shopper walked by and picked up one of the old ties and suit and exclaimed, wow, this is perfect. The husband looked at the wife smugly until the woman continued, these will look terrific on my scarecrow. <laughs> and I know in the boxing world, we, we all know the name Muhammad Ali from years back. He was on a flight many years ago, and the flight was experiencing some, some turbulence. And if you've flown any amount of times, you know that those fasten the seatbelt signs come on, and everyone was asked to fasten your seatbelt, and Muhammad Ali refused to comply. And he looked at the stewardess, and he said, I'm not putting my seatbelt on. Superman don't need no seatbelts. 
To which the stern stewardess replied, well, Superman don't need no plane. But then there's a heavy side of pride. Polly, this bull has killed me, said Jose Cabrero, one of Spain's most brilliant bullfighters. He was 21 years old. He was enjoying a spectacular career in 1958. Fighting the bull, he thrust his sword into the bleeding, delirious bull, which then collapsed. Jose Cabrero turned to the thunderous applause from the crowd, and so caught up in the pride-filled moment, the bull rose, lunged at the matador, its horn piercing his back and puncturing his heart. Pride is a dangerous place to be. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here. It better be more about Jesus than your physique. It better be more about Jesus than what you drive. It better be more about Jesus than what you wear. It better be more about Jesus than how much money you make or what neighborhood you live in. Psalm 73 and 6 tells us that pride will compass us like a chain. Proverbs 11 and 2 tells us after pride will follow shame. In chapter 13, verse 10, it tells us that pride will bring contention. I guarantee you we'd have a whole lot less quarrels in our families and amongst our friends and even in the body of Christ if pride was put in its place. <laughs> Here's truth. It hit me about 10 years ago. I was dealing with the discipline of submission. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a good discipline. Everybody needs a spirit of submission. And I read one thing that said there's a freedom that goes with the spirit of submission, the discipline of submission. What in the world could be the a freedom of, of submitting to someone else? Here's the freedom that goes with it. You now don't have to have your own way. You have the freedom that it's not all about you. <laughs> if you notice people wanting to spend less time with you, then your pastor would suggest you check your pride meter. The old saying puts it best, pride's the only disease that makes everyone sick except the one that has it. How true that is. Chapter 16 and verse 18 of Proverbs tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Chapter 29, verse 23 tells us that a man's pride will, will bring him low. Obadiah tells us that our pride will deceive us. Jose the Matador from the bullfight in 1958 teaches us just when you think you have finished off pride, pride will finish you off. Just when you're distracted by the accolades, cheering you, adding to your arrogance, adding to your self-pride, it will stab you in the back. 
And here's the truth, it don't matter what age you are, don't ever consider pride to be dead before you're dead. Because as long as there is breath in your body, pride will try to come in and wreak havoc in who you are. And finally, let me just tell you from the scripture that among the things that God hates is pride and arrogance. It's a chink in the armor. It's an Achilles heel. And you say, well, pastor, what's the answer? What's the answer? Well, praise the Lord. I've got an answer for you. It's also found in the scripture. It says a broken and a contrite heart. God will not despise. As a matter of fact, Isaiah tells us that the one that inhabits eternity loves to dwell with those who are of a humble and a contrite spirit. I learned this a long time ago. Early in my Christian walk, in my early years of marriage at 22 and 23 years old, the Holy Spirit dropped it into my lap. If I didn't pray for any two things in my life, pray for these two things that I would ask for wisdom. I've prayed it a lot. I've prayed it hundreds of times. And James said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and he will not chastise you for it. So I encourage you from this day forward, start praying earnestly for wisdom. But the other thing was this. I prayed, God, keep me humble. Keep me humble. Let me have a John the Baptist mentality. Let me have a fading ministry. Let me have a mindset that says I must decrease and he must increase. Oh God, keep me humble. Well, here's the promise to that. Peter tells us, if you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in due time. Believers don't have to promote themselves. If you stay humble, God will do the promoting of you and for you. Don't allow pride to be your downfall. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. The first chink was... Goliath didn't realize how formidable his foe was. Second chink in his armor was he had pride in his heart. And then finally, there was the little, literal or exposed area in his armor. And I went back and looked at that because sometimes we will rush through that miracle and we'll miss some things. The man had a coat of mail. That was made of brass. He had coverings of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders, a staff made of iron, and one, and one bearing a shield in front of him. It wasn't just Goliath against David. Goliath had an armor bearer that was there to deflect anything before it got to Goliath. <laughs> he had a helmet of brass for his head, but the helmet left his forehead exposed. Every other area was covered. Young David cranked up his slingshot. 
hurled the stone. It went past the one that was bearing the shield, beyond the spear of iron and all the coat of brass, to exactly the exposed area of his forehead that could take him down. If the rock would have hit him anywhere else, it would have bounced off. Could have been some bruising on the skin, but that would have been the extent of it. So what does this say to us? Well, first of all, it tells us that the enemy of our soul is not out to bruise you, but to take you out. The second thing it conveys to us is that the enemy is looking to your most vulnerable area to trip you up. Lust, pride, love of money, lying spirit, jealousy, neglect of prayer and Bible, covetousness, envy, gossip, the past, a temper, alcohol or any other addiction or enslavement, and I could go on and on. I am not looking at perfect people. You are not looking at a perfect preacher. You are saved by grace. I am saved by grace. But there are those tripwires. They can be a tripwire from decades past. They can be something that you have let go and you overcome. All of a sudden, something else comes up. Wow, where'd that come from? Same place the first trip came from your flesh. Always, always looking to your vulnerable area. And then when you trip and you make a mistake and you sin, that's what it is, then the enemy wants to dig at it a little bit. He wants to make you live with the guilt of what you've done. Holy Spirit wants to convict you because you did wrong, but the devil wants to condemn you if it can turn you away from the Lord. So what is the solution? To protect and cover that vulnerable area in my life. And we all have it. Everybody with me now, we all have it. If you my Lord, help you if you walk out of here and say, I don't have a problem. We're going to go back to that pride point for you. Come on now, y'all out there. So let's just assume there is no heavenly beings here. I mean, we all have those tripwires. 
We all have those vulnerable areas. What do we do? Well, we take unto us the whole armor of God that we can withstand in the evil day. And doing all of that, we stand. We have our loins girt about with truth. We have on the breastplate of righteousness. We shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel. We have the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And we don the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I left one out until this very moment. And one thing for sure that we're going to do, if we happen to slip on the rest of them, we are going to put on the helmet of salvation. And we're going to make sure it fits completely over our head and over our mind. And when your foe comes, and he will, you don your salvation. And you square him head on. And you let him know that it was your salvation that delivered you from his hand. And it's your salvation that will continue to give you the victory. Claim your salvation. Brag on your salvation. When all else fails, I'm saved. When all I've done is fail, I'm still saved. When others have failed me, I'm still saved. When my failures are pointed out and magnified by people, critics, and skeptics around me, I am still saved. When it's all said and done, no one is going to steal me out of the hand of God. I am a child of God, and I want the devil to know he has no access to me because I am the redeemed of the Lord. I am saved. Hallelujah. That felt good. I fought him last week. And there's a great possibility I may fight him this week. But when I fought him last week, I was a child of God. And when he confronts me this week, I'm still going to be a child of the king. The prophet put it this way. Though the fig tree shall not blossom. Neither shall fruit be in the vine. The labor of the olive shall fail. And the fields are not going to yield any meat. The flocks will be cut off in the fold. And there will be no herds in the stall. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. My mind is covered, I'm saved. My heart is covered, I'm saved. My body is covered, I am saved. You have a vulnerability, but your salvation is greater. Oh, Lord, I feel like the devil's been lying to some people this week, and you're believing it. He has never told the truth. He is a liar and the father of lies. He has some folks questioning your salvation. 
I'm not talking about conviction. Oh, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. What I am talking about is what the devil dishes out in its condemnation. But Paul wrote it best when he said, There is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Know there is a great enemy. Keep yourself humble. Instead of being pride-filled, make sure your helmet of salvation is firmly and completely in place, covering. Close your eyes if you would. If you're lost... You don't know Jesus or you've strayed from the Lord. You're living in defeat and death. But today that can change with your surrender to the Lord. Lord, we need transparency. We need transparency in the room, Holy Spirit. There are some vulnerable folks, and you're vulnerable to Satan, and you'll say, preacher, he keeps beating me up. There are some vulnerable folks that yield to pride, that sometimes they forget that it's not about them, but it's about the Lord inside of them. Some folks that keep getting tripped up and keep yielding to that vulnerable area. It's been going on for weeks, for months, for years. See, I'm tired of this once and for all. I'm tired of the tripping up tired of the condemnation that accompanies it. Do you need prayer today? Is the armor in place? Is it over your heart, over your mind, over your over your body? Are, are you, did your heart, mind, your body, is it exposed? If you're not living in the joy of the Lord every day of your life, And you kind of cheat yourself out of the abundant life that Jesus wants to give to you. And maybe the reason why is because you keep having these tormenting thoughts. Anybody need to pray?
While every head's bowed and every eye's closed, no one looking around. You say, preacher, you've preached to me today. The Holy Spirit has talked to me today. And you just be honest. And you just slide your hand up. Just hold it up for a moment. I appreciate that hand. I appreciate that hand. Hands are going up all over this room. Hands going up. There's been at least 10, 12 hands go up. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. I'm going to ask you, if you would, all over this room, stand to your feet. Would you just lift your hands to the Lord? Those hands that you praise Him with, would you just say, Lord, I, I surrender. I surrender my mind to you. I surrender my body to you. I surrender my heart, my emotional center to you, my spiritual center to you. Come on, all over this place. Come on, every, every child of God. Uh, these hands I normally praise you with, Lord, but right now I'm, I'm surrendering myself to you. I, remind me of who I am in Jesus today. <laughs> oh, Lord, remind me of who I am, that I am blood-bought, that I have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy not with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, guard my mind and my heart. Guard my mind and my heart. Lord, help me to fend off pride. Help me to be aware that the devices of the enemy, when all people speak good, of me, to be, to be sober, to be understanding. My God, my God, let me starve pride and let me feed humility. My God. Promotion comes from the Lord. Just pray that prayer with me, Lord. Keep me humble. Keep me humble. Pray with me. Come on, Lord. Keep me humble. Let me realize I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Keep me humble before you. Let me wound pride. Let me stay humble. Hmm. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Young people, stay humble. Stay humble. When the accolades come rolling in, take them with a balanced perspective. Don't allow the enemy to sow pride into your heart because when it grows, it turns into an ugly monster. It will bring you low, and God hates a haughty and pride-filled spirit. Polly, this bull has killed me. 
because he turned his back for a moment to the accolades and the thunderous applause. And the matador died tragically. His heart was pierced because of pride. My God, my God. And before we go, I just felt a prompt in my spirit. Everyone in the room, could we just take about one minute? And out of the depths of our heart, could we just praise God for saving us? We do that all over this place. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Thank you for setting me free, Jesus. Thank you for washing me with your blood, for cleansing me, for thank you that the day I said, Jesus, come into my heart, you wrote my name down in heaven. Thank you that no man, no devil can pluck me out of the hand of God. God, help me to preserve and protect my salvation. Let me never walk away from your hand. May I always rejoice. No matter what this coming week brings me, Lord. Bring me back. Bring me back to this moment. Bring me back to this moment at, at 11.51 on Sunday morning when, when I thanked you for my salvation. And even though I feel terrible, Lord, let some joy rise up inside of me. And let me rejoice in my redemption and rejoice in my salvation. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. See you Wednesday night. Have a great week in the Lord.